Welcome to the Birds FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to Becoming a Nation of We the People. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots. Tonight, before we begin, we're just going to ask for a quiet moment while I read this. President Donald J. Trump's ex-wife, Ivana, passed away today. I'll just read his statement. I am very saddened to inform all of those that loved her, of which there are many, that Ivana Trump has passed away at her home in New York City. She was a wonderful, beautiful, and amazing woman who led a great and inspirational life. Her pride and joy were here were her three children, Donald Jr., Ivanka, and Eric. She was so proud of them, as we are so proud of her. Rest in peace, Ivana. Also, tonight, um, Duncan, our kilted Christian, will not be having a show tonight. He has lost somebody very special in his life. So please keep your prayers up for him. And And sadly, this seems to be the time in which we live. Patriots, before we begin tonight, please take good care of your finances and make sure they're secure in very turbulent times. Patriots, we know the economy is in a mess, but you know what's never good? When your nation's supposed authority on economic policy completely misses the flashing red lights of impending inflation. Now, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has finally admitted, quote, there have been unanticipated and large shocks to the economy that have boosted energy and food prices and supply bottlenecks that affected our economy badly that I didn't at any time fully understand. What can we say? You know who understands the real threat of inflation? It's the people who have invested in gold and silver. And that's why we have Birch Gold. They're working with you to protect your savings from a highly turbulent economy by diversifying your 401k and IRA into gold, physical gold. And it's not too late for you to take action now. Text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898 and get a free info kit on diversifying and protecting your savings with precious metals. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of satisfied customers, Birch Gold has the experts to help you. Text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898 and get real help from Birch Gold today. Again, text BARDS to 989898 to claim your free, no-obligation info kit on protecting your savings with gold. Patriots, we have a real challenge in this time, obviously, in a nation that's deeply divided. And this isn't getting any better, as we find even today, as you would expect. The predictable left cannot miss an opportunity to try to throw some slander at President Trump, which they made some snarky comment today about the passing. I'm not going to read it. It's not worth the, the disparaging crap that they put out. But sadly, these are the types of people that have now migrated into the elite class of this nation. And it's something that we have to take very seriously in everything that we do. I'm going to play a 52-second piece here that on its surface it's humorous. But when we get to the lower side of it, it just it declines into mudslinging and stupidity, which we have to stop because this is not going to heal us at all. Take a listen to this. Y'all do know that, right? Y'all know Beto's a fake Mexican. His name is Robert Francis. Uh, so, so, so is Ted Cruz, right? Well, he sure loves little boys, too. I'm a moron. Can you refute my argument? Can you refute my argument other than calling me names? Yeah, I did. Why don't you Google Robert Francis O'Rourke right now? His name ain't Beto. We don't care. Because y'all are racist. The Democratic Party's the real racist. That's what it is, baby. How's Biden doing? What did Trump do? Economy was great. I was making money. You owe me gas money. Come give me gas money, you commie. Come give me gas money, you commie. Hey, you dumb. He's an 
I don't care. Well, guess what? He's still a commie. He's still a communist racist. God bless Donald Trump. This is the idol worship we've got to stop. Look, I appreciate the fact that there's people that don't want to hear the truth, and that's frustrating. But this sort of demonstration is not going to heal this nation. This is crap. And it's going to get a lot of hits on TikTok, and it's going to get a lot of people making a lot of slur comments. And this is the attitude that we have to be better than. This is falling down to their level. The same people that write snarky comments about President Trump's loss of his wife, we now become if we start to follow that behavior. This nation has a lot of rifts. And I'm going to touch on some of that tonight as we kind of set the conditions here. So let's take a look at where our world is. We've got a force feeding of us into a fourth industrial revolution. That's the real, that's one of the real issues. We have a spiraling economy. That's a pretty real issue with increasing in inflations. Our CPI is now at 9.1%. Real household inflation is pressing 30%. People are literally having to make choices between fuel, food, or rent. We're starting to see, we're continuing to see an increase in homelessness. And there's an absolute disregard for anybody on the streets. We've turned numb as a nation while we have people running around, living on the streets, living in tents, living in squalor, and we're supposed to be a first world nation. We're living worse than a third world nation, and I've lived in one. We're falling, and it's not falling because of a government that's failing. That's a given. It's falling because we, the people, have lost our moral base. And instead of just listening to one another and having a conversation, we're slinging nonsense at each other, slinging slurs at each other, and, cre- and continuing the rift. And guess who's laughing? The elites. They're laughing all the way to the bank. So let's take a little walk down our history a little bit. Take a look at some, some consequences of things. When the pilgrims arrived in the United States, they established a 50-year peace treaty with the Native Americans. And it was a pretty amazing treaty. And pretty amazing time because the pilgrims had come from a righteous model of, of faith in Europe. A very focused idea of, of the relationship with Christ. Very temple driven in the sense of the church. And very obedient and rigid. But important to this meeting with the Native Americans was there was an interest in sharing that righteousness with the pilgrims. And what the Native Americans showed the pilgrims was a way to live in balance with the world. No, it didn't fit the industrial model that we see today, but that's because they lived differently. Two different, two different cultures. Unfortunately, that peace didn't last long. As Europe and France then ensued to have their traditional war between the Church of England and the Roman Catholic Church, which fought out its bloodbath on our soil using the colonists and using the Native Americans as the proxy agents to fight a war, we saw an ensuing battle that continued well into the late 1800s, where the slaughter of the Native American culture became predominant. And by design, which every good ruling elite understands, if you can create a blood rift between people, it will last generations. And we've done nothing to heal it. As I say, we, we the people. We have a existing, we had one major attempt to bridge that space. And it's quite interesting because that happened with what we would consider today our first special forces unit, which was the Lewis and Clark expedition, which launched in March 23rd, 1806. And it was the Corps of Discovery Expedition led by Lieutenant William Clark and Captain Meriwether Lewis. What's amazing is they went trained in language. They went trained in skills to survive. And their, part of their mission, which followed the purchase, the Louisiana Purchase, which happened in 1803, was to explore trade routes to the West, among other things. And as we start to discover more, what's likely is what they were looking for were holdings of gold, which were rumored to be among the native tribes. Why would that be important? 
because we left the Revolutionary War indebted to England, obliged to pay the debt that they had incurred fighting us. And the only way we were going to get free was if we had gold to pay it, which we didn't have at that point in time, and which the expedition, which is interesting because there's parts of the Lewis and Clark expedition today that are still classified, and you can probably guess it had something to do with the gold. So they do the expedition, and yet these wars with the Native Americans continued. Some of it's skirmishes on the frontier because there's been this blood feud that has been started over the last 100-plus years. And then we end up with the Civil War, which is an interesting thing here because that was started by Pike and his Masons. And you really look at the Civil War, and we've talked about this before, And what we end up with is a very interesting reality, which is that slave ownership, though it was an abhorrent practice, was not a predominant practice in the South. This, again, was a war between elites. It was a war between the northern industrial elites and the southern elites that enjoyed owning their slaves. And the two are just as sick, one each side. Because the northerners didn't really care about the fact that they would They had slaves. What they cared about was the fact they wanted to sell their mechanized farm machinery down to a southern area so that they could replace the slaves with mechanical mechanical machines. That was the real fight that ultimately settled into states' rights, and that got all messed up in and around the the issue of slavery, which is the abhorrent practice that seemed to be pervasive here in our country. And so what ends up happening? We end up with two massive blood rifts. We end up with a long-lasting rift between black America and the white ruling elite of America, to be very specific, and we end up with a long-lasting rift between the North and the South, which is existing today because of the bodies that were spread of American young men all over the battlefield. But footnote on that, because most, so many of the Northern troops, and I won't say most, but many of the Northern troops that were recruited to fight weren't yet really officially American. They had just come off the boat, many of which were Irish. They were promised an opportunity to be here in the States, and as they came off the boat, the men were separated from the families and sent to war. Imagine that. This is how the elites play their game. We have been the pawns on their chessboard. And by the way, those same elites that then pushed to the big expansion in the West with the rail lines, that hired Wild Bill Cody and his crew to go out and slaughter all the buffalo so they could kill off the native population. That, again, food is a weapon system. Yeah, those are the same elites that were part of that group that started the Federal Reserve, you might remember, that sank the Titanic to make sure that those opposed to it didn't survive. Those are the same elites whose bloodlines carry into today. So you start to see where we are as a nation. And then we roll into... The 20th century, when we have World War I, World War II, we have Korea, we have Vietnam, we have Grenada, we have Panama, and I can go on the list. We have Iraq. Endless cycle of wars whittling down the nation and keeping our blood rifts not only domestically but across the world so that everybody hates everybody. And in the end, we're so confused right now as a nation that we're yelling at each other and calling each other racist over a political position. That's how stupid we've become. And it's sick. Look, I don't know, I don't care really what that guy voted, what he missed in that whole conversation, and it does matter, is that guy he was railing on was a Special Forces veteran. Just happened to be probably the only class of soldiers in this nation that have ever been given the mission that at the end of the day, to save the nation in case it was lost. He's earned his right to vote for whoever he wants. We have a real problem of an ongoing rift and acceptance of, of division in our nation. And so when we read the words, we the people, in our Constitution, it's worthy to reflect on what exactly that means. We have an obligation, as we have seen happening, fortunately, with the effect of President Trump's rallies, we have seen people coming together without concern for race or creed or religious orientation. That's solid. And we have to be careful as we push forward in this nation 
as we try to reset this nation on a nation of faith and a nation with a rock-solid morality again, working within the framework of the Christian framework in which we were given, that we also don't become arrogant and pious in that way and try to judge everyone who is not like that. Our issue right now is healing the wounds. And in this conversation we've had over the last few years, with the exception of President Trump and his efforts to specifically reach into Native American populations regarding child sex trafficking, which happens to be one of the highest places of child sex trafficking, because no one cares about them, so no one pays attention, so they just basically, those criminals get away with murder by ripping away children regularly, and no one listens. If we're going to heal this nation, this has to be God's rainbow, and we have to take that rainbow back. If we're going to heal this nation, we're going to have to look at other countries maybe to learn a little bit of a lesson. Because it's time now that we start to grow up and stop being so isolated and so hateful and start finding a way to build bridges. I can't stand politics, even though we talk about it a lot here. I can't stand it because politics are designed to create rifts and division. Parties in particular, George Washington warned us about that. And yet here we are. And the part of this whole thing that I find frustrating is that in our discussions about all we do, and I'm not excluding myself because I haven't even had a guest, a Native American guest on the show, which will change. First Nations get an opportunity and should have a voice in this discussion along with what I call last nations, which are us. Because this nation is not going to get itself back on its feet unless all of us as a people come together, heal the wounds that we have, set them aside, and move on. And when I say move on, that doesn't mean like, oh, we're going to get back to normal like we used to be. That means coming together to design and idealize or game new solutions for a future that has nothing to do with a corrupt and vile government that's currently running us. We need all the voices and we need everybody to come together. God is not going to release this land from its judgment until we all accept the burdens that we have. And that means all of us. Native Americans aren't excluded. First Nations aren't excluded from certain things they have to come to grips with, like their own versions of slave trade. And I'm not pedestalizing them at all, any more than I'm pedestalizing white European class, black African class, Latino, whatever. What we have to do is grow up. And we as a nation need to start to come together as people to realize that we all have, have a habitation here in this place. And we need to figure out not only how to get along, but how to work together to throw off this vile and evil tyranny that is now taking hold. And worse than taking hold, it's starting to become accepted by so many. Those that refuse to hear the realities of politics and refuse to look at what's really going on, they have their own judgment coming. That judgment will take many forms, whether it's the form of the impending food crisis, the pending fuel crisis, the pending economic crises, or even the vax. And sadly, that's another issue that we're all confronting now that no one's going to escape from. All those things I mentioned, especially the vax, everybody in the end of this is going to be confronted with the realities of the vax, whether we took one or not. We're going to have to deal with the loss and the suffering of those around us. That's coming, and if it hasn't already hit your home. And when it comes to food, and when it comes to fuel, and when it comes to rent, and it comes to homelessness, and it comes to just basic freedoms, all of those things are at risk right now. And the elites aren't stopping their game. This political ping pong we're watching here between Republicans and Democrats, and they're bad and they're good, this is pure garbage. This is, the, this is the kabuki theater that keeps us occupied and keeps our eyes off of the real issues. The real issues are unity. The real issues are finding a way for us to set aside our differences and our blood rifts that have occurred and been instrumentally designed in our culture for us to realize that if we don't get our act together, we are done. So while it's really great to talk about the plan and is talking about all the great things that are happening and the patriots are in control. That's 
pretty much nonsense when it comes down to the ground level of the people. Because there still exists a ton of rifts and a ton of things that we have to get over. This train that they're doing at the World Economic Forum has, in metaphorical sense, left the station. The fourth industrial revolution is on the move. Take a listen to this piece on Sri Lanka. Here's part of why Sri Lankans are in revolt. The government, in another display of why government-controlled industry always fails, banned the use of synthetic fertilizers, a staple in the country, and ordered all two million farmers to go organic overnight. No choice, just do it. As could be expected, the result was catastrophic. Rice production fell by 20% immediately, forcing the country to import rice so its people didn't starve. Even as prices jumped 50%, their main export and source of foreign currency, tea, fell dramatically. On this road, estimates expect rice production to fall easily 35%, tea 50%, and corn 50%. This just doesn't work. Multiply this food production destruction across the globe and the world would starve. Perhaps that's what the elites want. These are the same extremist climate policies always pushed so hard onto nations by the likes of Bill Gates, Greta Thunberg, and the World Economic Forum. They tie compliance to financial aid and push nations into policies that destroy economies, prosperity, and independence. And other nations are ready to do the same. The Liberal Canadian government, for example, long ago promised a 30% reduction in fertilizer use as a starting point when it's a major exporter of food to hungry nations the world over. These policies will destroy us and make us more dependent on government control. These ideas must never be allowed to take root. Though sadly, most of our current leaders seem held hostage by them. Hostage would probably be the incorrect word. Obsession with tyranny is probably more like it. And what Sri Lanka is, is while the people have risen up and thrown out and ousted the prime minister, there is a vacuum now that exists within the power leadership. As it sits right now, the people appear to be working in concert with the military leadership to go about resetting an economy. But the question is how that is going to play out and who's going to try to grab for power. They're just still in the honeymoon phase. We'll see how that works. But here, the same methods are starting to be used. All they have to do is start cutting off critical aspects to food production. And slowly, over time, food becomes scarce, harder to function. Farmers can't can't continue to do their thing. And as it Turns out they're preparing for that next wave with these vertical agriculture facilities in the cities. They haven't stopped their fight against us, their war against us. And that's an illusion I think that too many people are holding to that somehow patriots are winning. I've said this over and over. Elites are fighting. The question is who's going to come out of that fight, whether it's going to be bad or super bad. And then the next question is, are we going to be part of it? Or are we going to continue to walk our own path with God to let the system implode on itself? That's what has to happen. Take a listen to this piece by Matt, Matt Walsh. I played this earlier today, but this is at the root and how when you consider what he's going to say here, he's talking about a complete perspective on how transgenderism started. Listen to this history is long. This is like 20 or 30 years it's been incubating. All of these pieces that are surfacing right now didn't just happen yesterday. They've been done over decades to infiltrate and to get deep in people's mindset to change the beliefs, destroy the relationship with God, undermine the family, and turn people into willful slaves for the state. So he coined the terms gender role, gender identity, and sexual orientation. That was all him. He was a professor at York University, uh, or rather a professor at York University, recently published a book labeling John Money the man who invented gender. So suffice it to say, he was an extremely influential man, and anyone who propagates left-wing gender theory today is parroting the ideas of John Money, whether they know it or not, and most, as we've seen, do not. Now that fact ought to trouble gender theory proponents because John Money was, among other things, a fraud, a quack, and a pedophile. In 1965, after a little boy named Bruce Reimer suffered a botched circumcision, Money convinced his parents to have him castrated and raised as a girl. Now, gender is just a construct, he told them, so it should be no problem turning him into a girl. Uh, They followed Money's advice, and they also brought Bruce and his twin brother, uh, Brian. He had a twin brother, so this makes it a good case study. Two twin brothers... Gender is just a social construct. It's all environmental. So you raise this boy, give him a sex change when he's a baby, raise him as a girl. 
Should be no problem. He's a girl. Well, they also brought um, the two boys in for regular ser- therapy sessions with Money, and Money would sometimes instruct the boys to disrobe and inspect each other's genitals. Sometimes they were made to uh, simulate sex acts on each other. On at least one occasion, they disrobed and Money took pictures uh, of them while naked. Never explained exactly why he did that, but maybe we can imagine. Money explained that this was all meant to be um, healthy sexual exploration for the boys, which he felt that he needed to witness and facilitate. Ultimately, Money was convinced that his project had been a smashing success. It was not. The female identity never took hold for Bruce because he wasn't a female. Eventually, he was told the truth. He decided to transition back to being a boy when he was about 13 or 14 years old. But his life and his brother's life had been destroyed. And uh, when they were both, I think, in their 30s, one, the twin brother, uh, had overdosed intentionally on antidepressants, and then Bruce went to uh, a couple years later to a grocery store parking lot with a sawed-off shotgun and shot himself in the head. Now, that is the story. That's the beginning of this story that you are all taught in school now. And he's the guy who invented it. So they're omitting the history but teaching transgenderism, which is a bunk science created by some pedophile sick torturous soul that took advantage of a botched surgery, which happened to be a circumcision of the young man, which ended up burning off his entire penis and which this freak decided to suggest to the parents that they could turn him into a girl. And there began the entire process of transgenderism, but that's not taught in schools. Instead, what is taught in schools, what's indoctrinated into parents, and what these willful idiots are doing is they're perpetuating yet another crime and yet another blood feud within our nation. The scarring is all how they rule. They constantly work to divide and conquer. We've done this all over the world. Our oil companies don't negotiate treaties, at least they didn't, their principle before was to either move them or kill them. That was a standing principle. If they needed access to the oil, that's exactly what they would do with local tribes because, heck, it's a local tribe. Who cares who's going to pay any attention? It's just another batch of dumb African humans that we can just wipe off the face of the earth. No consideration for the humanity. All of this is in the name of industrialization, but more importantly, it's all in the name of power and control. This is where the sickness is, and this is why we the people have to start getting our head around how vicious this fight has been on humanity and how important it is and how, frankly, it should be pretty easy for us to put aside our blood rifts once we realize who is responsible. And when we do that, we start to build bridges and appreciate one another. I've said this before, and I truly believe this. You, believe, you bring together an eclectic group of people, all races and creeds. You sit them down at the table, and I will guarantee you the number of ideas to start solving critical problems will start flowing at a level you can't even keep track of because there's going to be amazing innovation ideas of how to solve problems. I worked with a group of MIT students in, in Afghanistan. They had a, what they called a fab lab, fabrication lab, fab lab, using robotic tools and technologies, which it was a very interesting experiment because they wouldn't teach the kids, and this was all designed for kids, they wouldn't teach the kids how to use the machines. They would let them explore and discover how to use them. And it's pretty amazing the sorts of things that are innovative. One of the things that ended up being innovated was a system to transmit cell phone signals, I'm sorry, internet signals, and just and create internet within a village. They did this by using plywood, screen door mesh, and a router. That system was an extension of what we call a mesh network and a battery that was taken from a motorcycle and a little solar panel, so this thing had constant power and constantly recharged. That's how they created it, and that was an innovation done at one of these labs. In India, they asked people to design a motor. They had never had engineering to learn how to design a motor, and somebody learned how to build a motor with rubber bands. You see, once we're released from the constrictions of our education, 
and the binds and boundaries that we're told we have to live within. When we start putting our heads together, God provides us with an enormous amount of resources, but we need each other. And right now, we need each other more than ever. Because where we're looking at right now is a nation that is deeply divided and the elites aren't stopping. They're moving faster by the day. I think this piece kind of sums up some of the issues that we all have to confront because we have to live accountable. Say this with love because I have realized some truths. I am not intimidating. You're intimidated. There's a difference. I don't take up too much space. You're just used to people playing small. My inner light is not too bright. You're just used to dimming your own. I am not mean nor aggressive. I am honest and assertive and that makes you uncomfortable. And I do not make you uncomfortable. My presence challenges your comfort. All of that is yours. I will not be less for you to feel better about yourself. Own your stuff. That's living sovereign in a simple sense. And that's meaning that we all own it. We all start to move around with it. And we need to absolutely start to anchor down into what it is to get past our stuff. And none of us are, ex- are excluded from it because we all have stuff that we have to get along, get it through because politics and division and hatred and all of the profiling that's done ends up making it look very, speci- very much like one class or another class. And it would be probably good for us not to call it out so much that way, though it's difficult at times. We have a lot of challenges here to get through this. And I think that this story here is probably a good reminder to how we have to start walking as we go forward. Late king of a community had 10 wild dogs. He used these dogs to torture and eat his servants that made a mistake. One of the servants gave the king an opinion that was wrong and the king didn't like it at all. So he ordered that a servant be thrown to the dogs. The servant said, I served you for 10 years and you do this to me? Please give me 10 days before throwing me to the dogs. The king agreed. In those 10 days, the servant went to the guard who looks after the dogs. He told him that he would like to serve the dogs for the next 10 days. The guard was baffled, but agreed. And the servant started feeding the dogs, bathing them, and taking care of all of their needs. When the 10 days was over, the king ordered that the servant be thrown to the dogs for his punishment. When the servant was thrown in, everyone was surprised to see that the ravenous dogs only licked the feet of the servant. The king, baffled at what he was seeing, asked, What happened to my dogs? The servant replied, I only served the dogs for 10 days, but they didn't forget my service. Yeah, I served you for a whole 10 years, and you forgot everything at my first mistake. The king then realized his mistake and ordered that the servant be let free. This video is a message. Don't forget the good things that people have done when they make a mistake. Remember, love covers over a multitude of sins. And that's part of our forgiveness. And it's an important time right now as a nation that we take deep reflection. And for those of us to feel secure with ourselves and in our place with with Christ, it's equally important for us to take the time to do as Christ did, to find those that are the outcasts and talk to them. Christ spoke to the prostitutes and the tax collectors. I should say it this way. He sat with them knowing that he also listened. He didn't preach. He listened and he spoke. And I would, I'm always fascinated at what those conversations would be like because those would not be pleasant for most people today. In fact, they would be pretty coarse. They would probably have some pretty sordid jokes written within them. And it would be a different type of humor, a different type of discussion, different type of trials. You'd have to listen to different type of traumas. If you haven't done that, I would encourage you to reach out and try. Because it's eye-opening when you do it. It's humbling in many ways. And when we start to listen that way, we start to truly hear each other through a real clear lens, not one that's obscured with all of the noise and confusion of our day. This next piece and the last piece is a three minute and 40 second piece. I played this earlier today in Bended Knee, but the message is profound and it's very to the point and hard to take when you start to reflect on ourselves here in this country. This is a message about Chinese Christians and it's quite interesting. Take a listen. You go to China from time to time and feet in the little living room, no air conditioning, hardwood floor, 22 sat there. They were sitting there, all 22 of them, and I looked around and I said, now, if we get caught, what will happen to me? They said, oh, you'll get deported in 24 hours and we'll go to prison for three years. 
I said, you're kidding. How many of you have been in prison for your faith? Out of 22, 18 raised their hands. I thought, no way. I looked at him and I said, you, you 22 people, how many people do you oversee? Because they were all of these small group leaders, underground church leaders in the Hunan province. I said, how many, if you counted up all the people under your jurisdiction, how many would it be? And they counted them up and they said, a little over 20 million. I said, what? See, we forget there's 1.3 billion people in China. This is crazy. Well, I had 15 Bibles and I passed them out. Obviously, seven didn't get them. And I said, let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 1 and we're going to read it. And just then, one lady handed hers to somebody next to her. And I thought, hmm, interesting. Well, we turned there anyway. And as we started reading it, I understood why she gave it away. She had memorized the whole thing. She just recited the whole chapter. When it was done, I went over to her at a break and I said, you, you, you recited the whole chapter. She says, oh yes, I've memorized many chapters. I said, where did you memorize many chapters? She said, in prison. She said, you have much time in prison. <laughs> so I said, but don't they confiscate the Bible? And she said, yes. So people bring in scriptures written on pieces of paper and they bring it in. So I said, but then if they find that piece of paper on you, won't they confiscate that? She said, oh yes, that's why you memorize it as fast as you can. Because <laughs> even though they can take the paper away, they can't take what's hidden in your heart. I thought, wow. Well, after three days, you fall in love with these people. And when it was done, I said, how can I pray for you? I'm going to go back to America. You guys have been just so wonderful. How can I pray for you? They said, you know, Wayne, you guys can gather like this whenever you want to in America. We can't. Could you pray that one day we'll be just like you? And I looked at him and I said, I will not do that. Big incredulous eyes looked at me and they said, why? <laughs> I said, because you guys rode a train for 13 hours to get here. In my country, if you've got to drive more than an hour, people don't come. You sat on a wooden floor for three days. In my country, if people have to sit more than 40 minutes, they leave. You sat not only here for three days on a hard wooden floor, but you did it without air conditioning. In my country, if it's not padded pews and air conditioning, people don't often come back. In my country, we have an average of two Bibles per family. We don't read any of them. You hardly have any Bibles, and you memorize them from pieces of paper. I will not pray that we become like, uh, you become like us, but I will pray that we become just like you. That's humbling. We are a nation that prides ourselves in our freedom of religion, and yet we treat it like trash. The Chinese will go to prison for three years if they're caught. And yet, to my understanding, there's something like 30,000 revivals a day right now in China. They're the fastest and largest growing group of disciples of Christ in the world. And they're the ones that are under the most persecution. We complain about our churches closing under COVID and instead of or organizing at home and starting mass movements, we go home and complain and turn on the TV and watch football, baseball, or the latest soap opera. Patriots, our rifts are deep. Our blood rifts are real. China has more. They've only been around a few thousand years of more vicious fighting and more torturous tyrannies than we could possibly imagine. And I'm not waving the flag of any particular nation, but I think it's time that we start to realize that our challenges aren't so great, but God is sure trying to wake us up. He's sure trying to give us some realization that you have an amazing land, that God is still with us. He hasn't left us. We haven't seen tsunamis. We haven't seen earthquakes yet. 
We haven't seen meteors or bolts of lightning that turns a city into a pile of dust like Sodom and Gomorrah, at least not yet. And the longer this goes, I would say probably the higher risk that all of those things will happen. Because at what point and at what action does it take for people to finally turn and look up and realize that we as a nation have been gifted and yet we can't get past ourselves? We have to find a way to bridge the pain. We have to find a way to bridge the blood rifts that were put there by hands greater than ours with the intention of what they are achieving right now. They may not have known the exact date. They may not have known the exact technologies, but they knew the end goal that they wanted to achieve. To dumb down a society, to make the society hate its own and not know truth from falsity, and to run around like chickens with their head cut off and looking toward the state to fix everything, casting God off to the side in the trenches. Our mission is great. In fact, it's profound. Our mission isn't just to sit and pray. That's just like stretching in the morning before your workout. The real work is when you get into the gym. That's where we have to be now. We have to be out here finding ways to talk to people, listen to people. It doesn't mean taking a Bible and hitting them over the head because God's word should be within your heart. And you don't have to quickly open the book to find a specific verse. If it's that important to you, memorize it. But God's not going to fault you if you paraphrase a, a verse instead of speaking it true as long as you're speaking from the heart to what you're trying to say. Our mission is greater than we can imagine because our mission truly is here in the now to bring people together, not separate people apart. We have fought that fight viciously to try to keep people from doing the suicidal act of taking the shot. We did what we could do, and now we're at another phase of this war. And where this war goes now is going to depend highly on our ability to come together, set aside our differences, put our blood feuds to rest forever, and to build a new nation truly in the words of we the people. That's not an exclusive statement. That's not related to just a few. And it sure as heck does not include the elite unless they want to accept Christ and come join us. And in those rank and file, there's going to be people that don't accept Christ. But they're going to be good people. And how we walk, the light that we carry, how we live is going to speak volumes far past the words. And it's there that we affect the greatest change. Live scripture. Live your love with Christ. Live the light of Christ. And let it be seen by all. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, come to you tonight with prayers for many. We have prayers for our president and the loss of his ex-wife and the first family's loss of their mother. We have prayers for Duncan who's lost someone very special in his life. And we have prayers for many that are just out here tonight in pain, whether it's loss of of family members, separation from friends or family, or just struggling with trying to find their way. Father, we just pray for the light of Christ to touch them, to open their hearts, to realize that we really all are in this together, where it's not an individual walk. For those that are harboring hatred and division based on political stupidities, just pray that they can cast it aside, to have a conversation and not spit vile things at one another. For those that are trying to continue to excise rifts between people to keep the hatred going, may they be cast down. May their efforts fall flat and may their hearts open for them to realize exactly what they're doing and face accountability. And Father, we pray for a nation that will start seeking accountability, not just solutions, but to heal. To heal the rifts, to heal the blood feuds that were put upon us, and to let it finally be so that we as a nation, which includes First Nations, come together as one people to learn from one another, 
and to build and to rise anew. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. So, Patriots, I just really, truly say this. I hope as a nation that we continue to walk towards trying to build the bridges with one another. We need it. We need to find that way through it because otherwise the divide and conquer will defeat us. That's how wars are perpetuated. That's how there ends up being a winner and a loser. We don't need any more of that. We've had our share of wars. We've lost and spread our blood around the world enough for their games. Now is time to heal. Let our prayers continue daily for healing of this nation and the opportunities that God can give us to build the bridges with one another to move forward. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. Prayers are essential. They are part of the fight that we are waging, and they're critical in everything that we do. Our prayers are heard. Speak with a pure heart. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God is, will always win. God will always win. But we are here in this time and in this place for just such a time as this. We've got one shot at this. We're at war. Walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tonight for Fishers of Men. Until then or until the next time. God bless. And out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe, to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal, but that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor, will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country.
old evil that has waited thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples, it has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. We push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words, in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath.